Welcome to the Author's Podcast with Lisa Newton. Writing a book is a dream for many people, and in today's society, it has become easier and more important than ever. If you are an expert, speaker, coach, or an authority in your field, having a book is the new business card. It can increase your credibility, enhance your status, and make you the go-to person in your field. Opening doors and bringing a flood of opportunities straight to you. You can increase your fees and start choosing the clients you really want to work with. The Author's Podcast Show with Lisa Newton is designed to inspire, educate and inform you, both entrepreneur and individual, on how to write a book, as well as writer's tips and strategies on how to actually get that book written. On today's show, you learn more about how to write a book, including writing ideas, marketing, and how to succeed in getting a book written. Here we go with the author's podcast, and here is your host, Lisa Newton. Hello and welcome to another episode of the author's podcast. Today, my guest has been called a routine machine, the kid routine and a routine freak. It's fair to say that routine has played a big part in his success, particularly when it comes to writing his second book. John Lamerton has been running small businesses here in the UK for the last 20 years and has made more than his fair share of mistakes in that time. He's written a couple of books for small business owners and has a reputation for his down-to-earth, plain English style. There's no jargon or fancy convoluted funnels here. John's latest book, Routine Machine, looks at how a normal bloke from Plymouth managed to achieve more than he ever imagined possible simply by tweaking the daily habits and routines for his health, fitness, nutrition, mindset, business, family, relationships, personal finance and hobbies. Other books by John include Big Ideas for Small Businesses. So on the line, I should have John. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Hi. Very well. Thank you. Um, I have to say, John, I have been reading your book. I haven't finished it yet. The one for Big Ideas for Small Businesses. And I am thoroughly enjoying your writing style. (laughs) I've got to say, I've (laughs) got to let you know, I like the way you write. It's very easy to read. It's just, it's a shame that I've just not been able to finish it as yet, but I will finish it off. But it's very easy to read. I I almost missed my stop. Like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just, (laughs) I've been enjoying it. And I think because it speaks a lot to me personally, because having run a small business for many years myself I I just I related to to everything you've said so far so um uh, yeah so let's start then shall we on your journey here then so in the book you said that you started off as a civil servant and then you started your first business in in the internet when you didn't have a computer and that so talk us through how you got started yeah definitely so I was a civil servant by day and I absolutely hated the day job with a passion i absolutely i i needed to get out of this environment and i tried applying for several different jobs nothing was coming up and the press at the time was full of these kind of young 20 year old entrepreneurs brent holberman martha lane fox um this kind of dot-com entrepreneurs they were having basically they were having ideas and then people were just waving checks at them for silly amounts of money 
And I thought, well, I could do that. Well, I'm young. I have ideas. I'm going to become a dot-com entrepreneur and I'm going to launch an internet marketing business. Um, three problems with that. Number one, I knew nothing about running a business. Number two, I knew nothing about marketing. And number three, I didn't even own a computer. So access to the internet was also a little bit tough. So yeah, I knew absolutely nothing. And so I picked up a copy of Internet Marketing for Dummies. Um, if ever there was a book that was made just for me, felt like Internet Marketing for Dummies was just, again, it was talking to me at the time. Um, I hopped on my girlfriend at the time's, uh, her parents' computer. They had a nice 56K dial-up internet modem that I could go on and borrow an hour's worth of internet time after the day job. And just literally, I taught myself how to get a website, how to get traffic to the website, how to convert people into sales, how to do networking, and absolutely everything I had to teach myself. And I just discovered that, yeah, eventually there was a passion for small businesses, but ultimately it was that very, very strong desire to get out of the day job, to get that escape velocity, to actually quit a job that I really, really hated. Mm. It's interesting. So they're in the day job and I know I'm sure plenty of people out there are in that position. What was it about the internet that made you think, yeah, this is the route? Was it the time because it was roughly the early 2000s and it was very hot? Yeah, I, th I think so. As I said, the, the press were just mm. full of these guys who were kind of similar age to me mm. and they were in their bedrooms, same as I was in a little back bedroom mm. and they weren't traditional businessmen. And this is the thing, I think, very of the moment, because mm. this is where it changed. In the in the late 90s, if you wanted to have a business, you wore a suit and you went to the bank and you wrote a business plan and you opened premises and you sold a physical product. And all of a sudden, in the early 2000s, you didn't need any of that. You needed mm. an internet connection and an idea. And I think I've heard this line a few times now, which I've kind of adopted, which is that you need to be naive enough to start and stubborn enough to finish. And I think that yeah. absolutely sums me up, that I was naive enough to believe, to really believe that if I've got an idea and an internet connection, I can make a living out of this. And I was also stubborn enough to keep at it when that didn't happen immediately out the gates. Mm. Yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing as I'm reading along is that you, over time, have developed more than one business. And again, it's just fascinating. I, like I haven't finished it. And I don't want to ruin it for the <laughs> listeners out there. Big Ideas for Small Businesses is the name of the book, but I, I'm loving it so far as we go along. But over the years, you then developed other business ideas as well as time went on. And I think that is quite a thing where a lot of entrepreneurs tend to do that, where you start with one business and then another idea comes along. So as you build momentum, I suppose, and get more confidence, more than one idea comes and you, you do do that. Absolutely. I, I think it can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. One of the areas I talked about in, in the book was that everyone thinks they're Richard Branson or mm. to put it another way, everyone thinks they need to be Richard Branson. He's held up as the poster boy of British entrepreneurship. And people think, oh, if I'm going to be a real true entrepreneur, then I need to be like Richard Branson. And I need to have a record company and a mobile phone company and fly hot air balloons across the Atlantic and go into space and have a bank and a radio station and a music festival. And I need to run 20 different businesses. And yep. the truth is, Richard Branson isn't running those businesses. He's got teams in place. He's got structures in place. He's got corporations lined up. His role is pretty much to turn up to the press launch 
and to hire the right people to run the right businesses. But people think, oh, yeah, I've got this successful business. I've got a successful bakery. Oh, fantastic. Right. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to open a media company to go alongside my bakery. What? No, that doesn't make any sense. But as entrepreneurs, we have ideas and ideas are ten a penny. They are, I think it was Mark Cuban said that ideas are worthless. It's the execution and the implementation that makes it worthwhile. And I've gone through this because back in the day when I first figured out how to kind of rank websites on Google, I could have an idea on the Monday, get a really, really awful looking website live by the Tuesday and by Wednesday I'm earning money. It's number one on Google, I'm earning money. Um, That's how easy it was for me to have a business idea, launch a business and start earning money from it. Um, Unfortunately, that led to me at one point running 30 businesses at the same time. Very, very different sectors. So we had service office accommodation, mobile phone insurance, sports betting, um, giving away sachets of shampoo. We had student (laughs) websites. We had car accessory websites. We sold breakdown insurance. We had villa holidays. We had package holidays to the Algarve, um, a nationwide directory of florists. And it was just, you know, you imagine trying to say, what do you do? You go into walk into a networking event. What do you do? Well, <laughs> yeah, what don't I do? And ultimately, that led to me running all of those businesses really, really badly. And it kind of got to the point, which again, don't want to give too much away from the book, but in 2012, Google gave us a real kicking and they took away all of our rankings. And it was an eye opener for me that I can't run. 30 businesses effectively. So I focused on one business and I focused on one area of one business for me. And I focused on the marketing for this one business and suddenly found that when I had that focus, my earnings just went through the roof. I think we 10 x that business over about a three year period. Um, we took it from certainly revenues of 75 to hundred thousand up to nearly a million pound a year. Um, just by focusing and actually not by doing anything extra as such, but more saying no to the other 29 businesses that were all screaming for my attention and actually focusing and shutting those down made a big, big difference. That's very interesting. Do you know when you you say that, I remember being in an audience with um, Theopathetus, who's one of the dragons on Dragon's Den, a UK TV show, and... (laughs) He went from literally, his words were selling insurance, I think, out of an office in Croydon. And then it's almost like a bit of the story was skipped. And then next thing he's, you know, buying Ryman's and has got a chain of, um, maybe he ran a stationer's and then he had a a chain of um, um, stationers, bought out this chain of stationers and then I think bought a football company. Yeah, he went to Millwall, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. Uh, my question that I never got to ask him, so I'll ask you instead, is because uh, this is a burning thing in, in my mind, was at what point do you either switch businesses or think, oh, look, there's an opportunity. I could do something there. Because to me, insurance is very different from running a stationers, as you've mentioned various different businesses there. At what point do you do that? Or at what point do you say, perhaps what I'm doing now isn't giving me the results. Maybe I should do something else. Yeah, I think it's it there's, there's that itch, isn't there? Like... Oh, there is. Absolutely. And I think that that's fueled by a lot of the stories of these entrepreneurs. And say you've only got to look at Theo and think, well, actually, yeah, because of Dragon's Den, he's going to have involvement, you know, dozens of businesses. Um, Now, some he's going to be a lot more hands on than others. Um, It depends what you do for the business. Because, again, Theopathetis is not going out buying stock for Ryman's. He's not doing the marketing. He's not manning the tills. 
what he's done is probably quite labour intensive for him in the initial, I don't know, 12 to 18 months, setting up the management team, um, putting the processes in place to run the business. You know, Theopophitis is a businessman. He is a CEO. He is running the business, whether that is Ryman's, whether that's Millwall, whether that is Lucenza. You know, he can go into these different businesses and although they are very different businesses, business is business. You're selling a product or service. You've got to identify the right customers. You've got to put the right people in place to facilitate that service, to deliver it. And I think the best entrepreneurs and the best business owners are able to see their businesses as a machine, as a collection of all the moving parts. And, you know, when I think about any of my businesses now, I can visualize the customer journey and spot where those blockages are happening. And I, th- I think that's all the likes of Richard Branson and Theopathetis do is, you know, they could look at your business now and you, you go and pitch him and say, I want you to invest in my business. He will drill down. He will ask you the questions to work out what the journey looks like. And then he will go in and like a mechanic tinkering with a car, he'll tweak things. He'll say, well, actually, let me put a retention sequence in here. Let me put a management team over here. Um, let me tweak the pricing here. Let me ramp up the marketing. And they, he's got these assets that he can call on. And Richard Branson's a great example of that in his latest book, Finding My Virginity, I think is the latest one. Oh. Um, oh, I know he wrote one, Losing My Virginity, which I've read. Yeah, Losing was the first book, I think. Oh, it's got, it's, it's uh, which was... <laughs> For me, it was one of the book, first books I read was Losing My Virginity. Uh, mm. oh, I'm getting confused. The first one mm. was brilliant. I absolutely loved it because this guy was effectively um, penniless, um, trying to raise money for his student magazine. But in the latest book, the hero of the story starts the book, chapter one, page one, he's a billionaire and he's looking to go into space and do space travel. Now, there's a real disconnect there for me. But the lesson I took from that latest book was actually when Richard Branson looks to go into a business, and I think the example he gave was Virgin Blue, I think it's called. It's kind of the airline, but it was in Australia. Mm. And he decided to go into this market, identified who's servicing that very well, and said, well, you run the service and we'll stick our name on the planes. And then I know just the lady who is the perfect lady to run this business. And that's Richard Branson's job done. So from the customer's point of view, Virgin are running an airline in Australia, but they're not really running an airline. Richard Branson is not sat there directing flights and working out what the in-flight movies are going to be and ordering meals. No, he's not doing any of that. He's got a team. He's done his job. His job is to put the team in place Um, to put the structure in place so that the Virgin brand is taken care of. And all he's got to do then is turn up to the press launch, do some silly stunt and get a load of column inches. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, very well put. And it's very true. And I think people miss that. And I think, you know, there's so much misconceptions regarding, you know, what it is to run a business. You've got all these shows out there like, you know, Dragon's Den and um, to an extent The Apprentice, I think. And people have this idea that this is what running a business is all about. But I think there is a lot that's not really said. And this is particularly why I like your book, reading it, The Big ideas you you really go into it as to how you started and the challenges you you overcame because I think other people tend to gloss over it and they don't really 
tell you what it, it's really like. And having read Richard Branson's book, one of the things I remember reading and thinking is that I think he got his aunt to help him or something. And his aunt banked at Coots. Now, Coots Bank isn't like any old little bank. You, you've got to have a certain level of wealth for them to take you on as a customer. And not everyone's got an aunt that you know has a bank with coots it's the little things that they miss out on the story that you think well we're not all starting at the same level really are we yeah exactly and it's it's one of my pet hates with autobiographies is i was born in 1977 and i went to school here and this was the upbringing i had and then i started my business then i'm a millionaire and now let me tell Mm. you about my tv career whoa whoa, whoa, hang on backtrack Mm. how did we get from leaving school to becoming a millionaire that's the bit i want to know about because people want to associate well where i am now if you read a book and there's a hero in the story you put yourself into that hero's shoes you walk in their shoes and you follow their path so when i read an autobiography i want to know well actually from where i am now to where i want to go who's been there who's trodden that path whose blueprint can i copy and when yeah when i pick up richard branson's book and he's already a billionaire um looking at space travel that's me that's not i'm nowhere near that level when i pick up his first book however and he's a penniless student trying to, you know, get a few contracts in for his piddly little magazine. Oh, absolutely. I'm there. And how can I take it? And one of the best I've seen of that is a chap called Neville Wright. And his book was called uh, The Answer is Yes, Now What Was the Question? Um, <laughs> brilliant book. But ultimately, it's his story of, uh, and, you know, without spoiling the ending, he, I think he mentions it on the front cover. He starts with 37 pence and his dad's ladder. And he finishes up with a hundred million pound empire. But the majority of that story is the 37 pence to a few hundred quid, a few hundred quid to a few thousand quid, a few thousand quid to, you know, tens of thousands, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. He really, really goes in depth on the early years and he glosses over the, oh, and then we sold for 70 million to Morrison's. Oh, now I do property <laughs> made another 30 million. That's an afterthought because he knows that where most people that read this book are going to get value from is the, how did you go from having 37 pence in your dad's ladder to earning 20, 30 grand a year? And then how did you go from 20, 30 grand a year up to 100 grand a year? People want to put themselves in that position and know how do I follow your path? Absolutely. We're listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like and share this channel. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to John Lamerton, who is the author of Big Ideas for Small Businesses, Simple Practical Tools and Tactics to Help Your Small Business Grow, as well as Routine Machine, How Successful People Improve Their Morning Routine, Daily Habits and Guarantee Themselves Results. So what I want to ask John is how you came up with the idea of writing your first book then was it because there was the gap in the market or just to share your story because you've been in business for 20 years and there's a lot that you have learned and other small business owners will go along exactly the same path as you have done and can learn from you and as you say you know in the book good people learn from other people's mistakes and not their own Save yourself a lot of heartache. And, and also just to know it's not just you going through this. It, this is the path of business. So what, exactly. what set you out to document your story? Well, I'd, I'd been 
kind of bullied into it for a couple of years where I'd been in a coaching group and one of my mentors had been saying for a long, long time, like, you've got this fantastic story. It's been a real roller coaster journey. You've had very high highs and very low lows on this business journey. It's not been that straight linear path that people think it is when you're running a business. And I'd always resisted and said, no, 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 no. You know, my efforts go into actually running my businesses. I don't see the value in writing a book. Yeah, if I'm going to sell a million copies of it, great. But it just doesn't interest me. And it got to the summer of 2016. And we'd just exited our main business at the time. So suddenly I had a lot of time on my hands. I was kind of just coming up for 40. And I thought, I'm not ready to hit the golf course yet. Well, you know, for the rest of my career, what am I going to do? And... We decided actually, I really enjoy helping other business owners. And so we set up a little mini mastermind around my kitchen table. And I got in touch with about six to eight small business owners here in Plymouth who just, they were fairly, fairly new on the journey. They were just starting out. And I thought, well, you know, internet marketing for dummies helped me. Rich dad, poor dad helped me. I can help these guys. So I met up with them once a month. I set them some homework. I gave them some books to read, sent them away with some tasks. And over the course of the next year, they absolutely flew. They really, really absolutely smashed their businesses. And their business delivered the lifestyles that they wanted. And I sat down with my business partner, Jason, after that first year and said, this has been brilliant. At this point, we'd grown to 12 people. So we were, we were starting to run out of chairs around our kitchen table at this point. So we deployed the emergency chairs. All the Christmas stools had come out of the, uh, <laughs> out of the woodwork. And I said, well, look, we're running out of space here. I said, I've really enjoyed this year. I've really enjoyed helping these 12 people, but that's 12 people. I want to help more than 12 people. I want to help 1,200 people or 12,000 people. And Jay said, well, is it time for the book then? I went, oh, yeah, it probably is. So it was the one time whereby, you know, I just exited a business. We've been helping people already. I knew I had a message that could help people. I'd seen it working for other business owners. And I thought, actually, it's the one time I've got the time to write the book. Let's do it. Let's set some time aside. Let's get this book written. And ultimately, the plan was that it was going to be the book. There wasn't going to be a second book. (laughs) I quite famously stood on stage at the launch event for Big Ideas and said, I am never writing another book again. Um, I hated the process of writing this, never writing it again. And sure enough, two years later, I came out with the second book. (laughs) (laughs) I think once you get the writing book, it's one of those, for me anyway, it's just, I just, it's one of those things. I completely expect people to write another one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I kept getting asked the question as well, when are you writing the second book? And my answer changed from me, you know, immediately after the, first launch was no i'm not writing another one that this is it this is all you're getting from me to well i might do at some point in the future to well i've got an idea for a book to (laughs) yeah i'm writing it's coming out next year (laughs) (laughs) and did you have to have a routine for your writing because you 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 said you had more time on your hands so did you have a structured time around which it's like okay this is writing time yeah well this thing see i am the king of routine lisa so it's got to be done but Unfortunately, the first book, I didn't have a routine. And this is why I think I didn't enjoy the process so much the first time around, because I just I set myself a crazy, stupid deadline. And I think I started writing in January or February of 2017. And I said, right, the book is coming out on the 20th of June. And then we went on a family holiday to Florida. And that was like a three week um, supposed to be a holiday, but it, you know, Disneyland and Orlando and it's just it's not a holiday so 
my plan of, oh, I'll take the first proof, sit by the pool, read that. No, that didn't happen. Ended up just being massively stressed and just finding time here and there to write a few chapters. To edit. I wrote it out of sequence as well. So I started writing it. And then about two months in, discovered that chapter 21 was actually chapter three. Chapter four was actually chapter 17. And in all my then references back, the timeline was wrong. Just, oh, it was it was a horrible experience. And the second book, Routine Machine, was completely different because I wrote it with a proper routine. Um, I, first of all, didn't give myself a stupid deadline. I had the initial idea for the book in, I think, June... 2018 uh i was on a podcast this guy said to me i think for you routines are just key he said you're like the king of routine i went oh that's a good idea i I could write a book about that went back to some of my clients um did a little presentation i said yeah absolutely this is a book i went on holiday in the summer took my journal with me and i said right if i can write four pages of notes just bullet points about different stories different anecdotes different takeaways that i know about routine i'll write the book And so sure enough, I did about 10 pages. Okay, this is going to be a thing. So I had the idea in the August. I planned out the structure first, which I didn't do for the first book. So I planned out exactly what the chapter structures were going to be. That was done in the October. And then in November, I blocked out an entire week. And I said, I'm going to break the back of this book in the first week. So one week in November, I got 31,000 words down. And I looked at that and thought, that's half the book written. Now, that was very much vomiting words on a page. It wasn't highly polished. It wasn't edited in any way. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote full time for a week. Well, it was about 30 hours, I think, in that first week. And then I blocked out time for the following, I think it's the following six or seven months. I blocked out three consecutive days per month. And that's the only time I worked on the book. So 27 days a month, I didn't even think about it. And then three days, I would work full time on the book. And that would be obviously writing to begin with, getting that word count up and then going back, editing, formatting, marketing, had everything planned. And sure enough, seven months later, we launched the book and it was stress free. I really enjoyed the process of writing and I looked forward to my three days a month because I knew, you know, whereas before I do a day's work. And then think, oh, I better squeeze in an hour's writing because otherwise this book isn't going to get written. And this time I didn't squeeze anything in. I just literally I had my three days blocked out. And of course, that allowed me then the rest of the month to kind of percolate some of the ideas that I would thought about to notice when I'm listening to a podcast and someone has got a brilliant anecdote about routines. Like, Oh, I'll use that one in the book. And I just I, I notice things. I let things percolate. Um, ideas made it into the book. Um, I'd write some stuff down. I'd have, you know, everyone gets writer's block. I'd get writer's block. And then three days later, four days later, I'd be listening to a podcast. The idea would suddenly come to me and I'd just open my Word document, put a little bullet point in there, what I'm going to write about. And then when it's time to write on my three days, I open it up and I can just, I can just work. I can just go. And it was, honestly, it, it was a poles apart the way i wrote those two books i'm still very proud of both books and i i you know i like reading big ideas but i did not enjoy writing it anywhere near as much as i enjoyed the routine of writing routine machine that's because i am a routine freak i do live and die by my routines and that's the mistake i made with the first book is i didn't write it routinely ah you know i've never heard anyone like leaving 
So it's an interesting, and this is why I love talking to people, love talking to authors and just getting ideas as to, you know, everyone's different, different writing styles, but I can actually see how just three days flat out on it can really work. Yeah. Um, I can completely see that. It's, it's almost like uh, you do a hit class, don't you? Uh, or Tabata or something like that. You work hard for 30 seconds and you rest for 15 seconds. You don't constantly plod along the treadmill or try and fit it in after a day's work. You work all out and then you rest. And that's exactly what I did with the book. And it, yeah, it's what I do with my businesses. I work flat out on my businesses for a short period of time and then I rest. I recover. Yeah, we cope. You are listening to The Author's Podcast with me, your host, Lisa Newton. You can email me, lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And remember, we have The Inner Circle, which is for writers just like you. And you can join us at writerbook.net. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to John Lamerton, who is the author of Routine Machine. Uh, information can be found at routinemachine.co.uk and also big ideas for small businesses. Simple practical tools and tactics to help your small business grow. So, John, so you mentioned like having clients and stuff. So now that you've got this book out of the way, how do you keep yourself busy? How do you spend your time? Because what I loved about what you said in, in the uh, big ideas, it says uh, John Laberton, a former hustler, yep. now earns more money working 20 to 25 hours a week than he used to pulling all nighters and grinding for 100 plus hours a week. I could completely relate to that. And it says you now meant to fellow ambitious lifestyle business owners teaching them how to design their business around their lifestyle so tell us about that definitely well, i think the opening line of big ideas for small businesses is a quote from tim crider and it's i hate being busy i'm the laziest ambitious person i know and mm. that for me just sums me up i don't want to work any harder than i have to i've done the hundred hour weeks i've done the hustling i've done the grinding i've done the you know work all hours i've done the jfdiing i've, I've been there i've done that and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I think one of the key things for me was when the kids came along and I had to work less hours because I was going to be sharing the uh, the childcare duties. So kind of I was doing the nursery runs a couple of days a week and all of a sudden I didn't have a hundred hour week to spare for my business. I had to reduce it down to kind of 20, 25 hours a week. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do the 80, 20 analysis and I'll just work on the 20% of things that bring in 80% of the money. Fully expecting what I'm going to earn 80% um, ended up earning about 150% of my income because all of a sudden I was focused on those income generating tasks. I was focused on the stuff that actually brings the money in. How do I keep busy now? I still manage to be too busy at times because I'm the kind of person who I like to say yes to things. Again, I'll have an opportunity, I'll spot an opportunity and I'll think, oh, we, we could do this. We could build a business here. We could, you know, we could do this. We could, oh, we could build up this marketing plan. I could build this funnel. And then I get overwhelmed and I get stressed and I go, okay, I need to just go back to my routines. Just go back to what works. Let's mm-hmm. say no to things. And literally I had a meltdown about two weeks ago and just sent an email over to my business partner saying right i'm not doing this anymore i'm not doing that we're stopping this i'm killing that and it's just literally i noticed that i'm getting more stressed and i want my business to serve me my business exists purely to fund my lifestyle it doesn't exist to keep me busy and i think so many business owners they do stuff to be busy and it's the common greeting of business owners isn't it 
you know, how are things going? Oh, yeah, yeah. Busy, busy. Good. Oh, that's good that you're busy. Well, yeah, but are you earning any money? Are you seeing your kids? Have you got a holiday booked this year? Are you stressed and overwhelmed? Because if you are, then your business isn't serving you. It doesn't matter how much money you're earning and it doesn't matter how busy you are. What matters is, is your business serving you or are you serving your business? Who is the master here? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And one of the things you you say in the book is about lifestyle businesses, mm. the word almost seeing, you know, give it, it's, it's had a, a like a, a dirty kind of tinge put upon it. Like, oh, it's only a lifestyle business. But no, like you say, the business should be there to serve you. And it's not about working all the hours God sends. It's just about pulling out what you need to and actually having a life. If, if you're working for yourself, you should have time. Really. Exactly. I mean, all of our clients, we've, we've got um, the 1% Club, which is our like group mentoring platform. And why do people come in there? Well, they come in there because I want to retire earlier or I don't want to work Fridays or I want to play golf or I want to, I, want, I just want to be at every assembly. I want to be at every sports day for my kids. I want to be there for my kids. I want to see my partner. I want to spend some time with my parents before they depart. People want to actually experience lifestyle and yeah it's been given a dirty name over the years and say dragon's den is the worst culprit for that i believe because they will be quite disparaging about oh this is only ever a lifestyle business but ultimately if you own your business you have a lifestyle business now at the moment that lifestyle may well be 100 hour working weeks doing everything yourself working your nose into the grindstone but that is the lifestyle that your business is currently delivering you what i'm saying and what i'm trying to kind of preach with big ideas is you can design your lifestyle. You can design your business to deliver the lifestyle that you want. And most of that comes from your routines. And that's why obviously the second book, Routine Machine, came out because this is about outsourcing all the important stuff, all the decision-making. It's outsourcing all of that to automation, to autopilot. You've already got routines, so let's tweak them. Let's hack them. Let's deliberately notice a few of these routines that have a disproportionate effect. Let's optimize them and then let's make it happen on autopilot. So actually, you know, we talk about, for example, sending weekly emails that don't sell. So impactful. We've got clients who've got £50,000 sales come in. One guy had a £350,000 sale. Another lady, she got the Ritz of London on a sale just by sending a one email a week to their list that doesn't sell anything. And it's such an impactful routine. Just doing that one routine has trebled one of our members' businesses. That's all they've done. And so many people, they ignore that. They ignore the routine they've got, the marketing that works, because they're off chasing Instagram or they're off chasing the latest shiny new object. And it's, to me, you know, we look at our business, there's 57 things in our business that if they're done routinely, our business thrives and it grows. And we have to train our team to say, don't chase shiny new objects. By all means, you've got some freedom to try new stuff, but not until these 57 things have all been done routinely. Once that's been done and that's happening, do what you like. Absolutely. You know, the business will thrive. You were listening to the Authors Podcast with Lisa Newton. Please do subscribe to, like, and share this channel. So if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to John Lamerton. Um, I'm feeling quite energised, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, I know you can't see me on the podcast, but I'm just nodding my head vigorously. Like, yeah, completely agree with everything you're saying. More information about the Big Ideas, it, it can be found on the website, bigideamedia.com. 
So, John, am I right in understanding then that do you have a mentoring programme? Can people work with you personally on a one-to-one level? Because I imagine people are out there thinking, this John guy, he knows his stuff. Obviously, read your book, but... Are there any other ways in which others can work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, we've, we've got the 1% Club. That is our group mentoring platform. So you'll find details. Again, that's on the website at bigidea.co.uk. We open the doors to the 1% Club in March and September every year. We can sometimes sneak people in the back door if you're determined, if you've got a deadline, if you've decided, hey, I'm going to write a book and it's coming out in April. Uh, and you need some help with that, we can obviously work with you on that. But again, my bag is marketing. I love marketing small businesses. I love working with small business owners that want to deliver that lifestyle. So we've created some math classes in the club about how to write a book, how to sell the book. Because I think so many people focus on the writing and yeah. they write a brilliant book. And I remember the classic is Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I said it's one of the first books that I read when I was running my own business. And I remember a conversation he had with a, I think it was a journalist, and she took umbrage to the fact that he was a New York Times best-selling author. And she said, well, you're not very good at writing. He said, it's not written that well. My writing is so much better than yours. And he, oh, that was it. Yeah, he was coaching her on how to get a bestseller. And he said, you need to take a course on sales. And she said, I'm, I'm not taking a course on sales. Huh. I've trained at this prestigious academy here. And my writing is better than anybody's. I'm one of the best writers in the world. And he said, can you just pick up that copy of my book there? Said, yeah, okay. What does it say on the front? It says New York Times number one bestselling. He said, yeah. Does it say best written? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, okay. He said, that's because I've sold 10 million copies of that book. He said, it's not about the writing. He said, the reason that book has been successful is because... It's written quite well, but it's been sold brilliantly. And I think so many people don't focus on selling the book. And again, I'm no focus. All my efforts go on selling the book. Um, you know, I've got an idea for a third book, but it will not be written. I refuse to write a single word of that third book until I've sold 20,000 copies of this second book. That's my rule. And I'm not going to break that for anyone because my job is not just to write good business books. It's to write business books that help a lot of people. Remember, I when I was sat around that kitchen table with 12 people, it's great that I've helped 12 people, but I want to help 12,000 or 100,000 people. And I can't do that if I sell a few thousand copies of the book and move on to write another one. It's no, It doesn't work for me. Okay. Yeah, excellent. So, John, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. I think you've really shared and um, there's a lot to take away from that. Just a reminder then, the website for more information is bigideas.co.uk. So it's Big Idea, singular. Idea. Just, to conf- just to confuse people, I've gone plural on the book and single on the domain name. So it's bigidea.co.uk for the website and the book is called Big Ideas for small businesses just through that it's confused people really (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, thank you very much john and listeners thank you very much for tuning in this concludes another episode of the author's podcast today my guest has been john lamerton and thank you for tuning in and i will see you next time on the author's podcast You have been listening to the author's podcast with Lisa Newton, sponsored by Boogles Limited. Tweet the show at Boogles underscore books, spelled B-O-O-G-L-E-Z underscore books. 
You can also contact your host via the email address lisa at lisanewton.co.uk. And if you want to join our author's community, join the inner circle at www.writerbook.net. You have just been listening to the author's podcast with Lisa Newton. See you next time.